Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and Ashley. Ashley, I, this is so funny. Um, and nobody can see us today, but everybody on this call is wearing Dear NICU Mama walking letter of hope gear, which is pretty coolio. If I do it's say it's pretty special. Myself. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had kind of like a bonkers, uh, cyber week. Um, it was kind of crazy. It was really cool to see all the orders come in for moms who are, mm-hmm. um, looking to get their kind of their, um, shields of armor shields of armor isn't a phrase but I'm just saying it now <laughs> I think it works I know what you were saying yeah uh that was really really cool um but it's good to see your face friend it's good to see your face as well I might get to see it in person next week I was just gonna say the same thing and we're gonna eat Woo-hoo! pizza and I'll probably get a rash because of my impending diagnosis of dairy allergy, but it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. She says as she itches her side. Um, well, mamas, <laughs> well, you know, we keep it real here. Um, uh, some weeks we have the incredible pleasure of interviewing experts in the field of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, uh, obstetrics, gynecology. Um, and sometimes we get to interview incredible mamas, just like yourself, uh, who've been through this journey and all the unique hills and valleys. And that's who we have today. Um, mm-hmm. We have the incredible Jules McBride. Mm-hmm. Hi, welcome. We're so glad yes. you're here. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you guys today. Oh my gosh. Can I just say too, you're even prettier in this <laughs> virtual meeting here. Yes. I mean, every time you share a picture, we're like, wow, she's so pretty. And now <laughs> staring at you across the computer screen, girlfriends. So beautiful. Oh you're, my goodness. Thank you. Your <laughs> lip gloss is incredible. <laughs> I haven't worn lip gloss since 2007. You look incredible. <laughs> Martha's going to go on Thank Amazon you. tonight and get some lip gloss shipped ASAP. Go, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I love it. Well, Jules, we were kind of talking before we hit record here, but you are such a special part of this sisterhood and it feels like we've known you since the very, very beginning. And so actually, I feel like we kind of have. We, You were one of the founding sisters of Dear Nikki Mama. And so it's really just so special to have you on the podcast today. It's been a long time coming. And we just know that moms are going to be so encouraged and inspired by your story. So thank you so much for being here. Yes, yes. I'm so thrilled to be here. And I think it's just always wonderful when I can help to inspire other moms. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
no. Yeah. And we, you'll have, we'll definitely drop all of your social media handles and everything in the (laughs) show notes, but, um, you have done such a great job sharing your story. And that's why I'm really excited that you're here today too, to talk about Juliana and, um, You've written a letter for us before as part of our letter series, and you're going to be featured in Architectural Digest. Yes, that is <laughs> amazing. I saw that on your page today. I was like, what the? That's crazy. Yes. yes. Um, new amazing journeys. Our story is on there right now. Wow. Um, so we're just thrilled about that. It's another, another message Mm -hmm. for people, um, to take hope away Mm -hmm. for their journey. So absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what your story is through and through is just hope. And every time you share a picture of Juliana and a new milestone that she's reaching or something new that she's excelling in, or even, you know, the vulnerability you post in prepping for another procedure or going through another set of labs. I mean, everything you share is really, you embody hope. And so we're just really, really thrilled to be able to have you here today. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Well, man, well, we get a glimpse of who you are because we follow you on social media, but would you be willing to just share a little introduction of who Jules is? Yes. (laughs) So I was looking at that today and it is, it's crazy because I've been a caregiver for so long Mm -hmm. and with having an accident and it's, it's hard. It's like, how do I pull myself back? Who am I? Mm. Who am I today? Now that everybody else is good and taken care of who am I? And I think as a mom that that's very important to just have that self care and to never lose yourself in the midst of taking care of your child, whether they're in the NICU, medically complex, whatever it is, that way you don't lose yourself. But if I did have to describe who I am, <laughs> I would say that I am a boss mom. I am a boss <laughs> mom. I am, I never thought that five years ago, starting out this journey, that it would take this turn. I am a former teacher. Mm-hmm. and um, to preschool, uh, toddlers in preschool age um, for the military base. I did that for over 14 and a half years. Wow. And yes, and I decided last January, 2020, hey, I'm going to quit altogether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take care of my child. I'm going to, you know, do the influencing full time and just be an advocate for parents um, with children with special needs. And that's exactly what I did. But I never knew almost two years ago now that this is where the journey would lead me. And I couldn't be more grateful. Everything that I do, um, it's just been inspiring to me. I I do inspire myself because that vulnerability, it takes a lot Mm -hmm. to, to openly share with people. Right. Um, So I would say that, and then everyone 
full. And I just think about everything that I do before I take that leap and take on the challenge. So, um, but, you know, besides that, I would just say an amazing mother to a special little girl. And um, I strive to be the best life partner that I can as well. So I don't think that anybody is perfect. And um, I, I, I'm just out here winging it, taking it day by day. <laughs> Every day is a new day. I'm taking it day by day. But I really am thrilled in this next chapter to find, to get back to me a little bit more, mm -hmm. to still do what I set out to do, to be an advocate for not only my child, but help other parents, but also know myself again in the mix. Mm. That's really incredible because it's, it really speaks to um, a narrative that we're hearing a lot lately, especially with the pandemic of finding yourself again after all of this, right? Mm -hmm. Who you are and who, yes. who you've changed and to be, right? Mm -hmm. um, yes. Also, I think it's so cool to see how much has changed over the past two years for you and how much, much has grown, but also like what crazy timing, like in yes. January, 2020, <laughs> you were like, I'm going to make this big life change. What else could happen? <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, surprise, COVID, <laughs> three months later. <laughs> oh, man. But it is, it's all worked out. It's just been, it's just been amazing. I love being home with my daughter. She's excelled at therapy. And that's what I originally wanted for her. I wanted for her to have more time in preschool, more time in intensive therapy, to gain skills. And I, two years later, I could not have dreamed that mm -hmm. we would be here and that she would be thriving the way that she is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. A true testament to the amazing mom that you are, Jules. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. So maybe then we kind of rewind to when you and your husband decided that you guys wanted to have a baby, would you be willing to share about the journey to Juliana? Yes. So, I mean, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. Like I said, I was a teacher for 14 and a half years and um, kids are so amazing. I love kids. I always knew that I wanted a house full. I grew up with, with a few siblings. So I always knew that that was my path. Um, I did have a few miscarriages along the way early in my marriage and it, it set the tone. I kept thinking, oh, we can get pregnant naturally, but I have unexplained infertility. Mm. So I just, cannot get pregnant on my own. I went through several rounds of fertility treatment year after year after year. And um, it, it was, it was heartbreaking. It, it was heartbreaking to say the least, to know that you want to be a mother for it not to happen to know that you have so much love to give 
And um, my last fertility treatment, I went, we went in and I was just emotionally devastated. It, this was taking a toll on me emotionally, physically, mentally, mm-hmm. um, and just draining. And so we went in, I had the procedure done and I told my husband a few days later, he was out of town on, and I said, Hey, if this does not work this time and there is no positive pregnancy test, then this will be it for us. And that we would essentially adopt, just figure out another plan or it would just be us. Mm -hmm. And on Mother's Day... of 2016 that's when I found out I was pregnant and I took the pregnancy test and (laughs) I was just screaming I could not stop screaming like (laughs) (laughs) like oh my god and there's this thing in the fertility world like the line is dark you don't want a a faint line you want a dark line (laughs) so I just kept screaming oh my gosh the line is dark the line is dark oh my gosh it's positive like I mean I just remember everything like it was yesterday and it Mm. was just such a I cried and I just kept holding my stomach like finally 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 (laughs) so yeah it's just so crazy like here I was like if this doesn't work this is it and then it was positive I think like you said you say it so well like it does take a toll on your mind and body to um to go through it and you say years and years and years but if you really break it down it's month by month by month by by month right so like imagine 30 months of the same thing, right? It's very, um, it's very daunting. So I, you speak to that part so well. And, and, you know, I know Ashley thinks the same thing too, but I'm, I'm so sorry for your losses too, your pregnancy losses. It's, you can tell too, it's part of your story and, and I'm just so sorry. Yeah. Thank you. I think that, um, you know, just just people don't think about miscarriages I love that it's being talked about so much more lately but you know our unborn babies they matter too that was a life Mm -hmm. that is gone as well so thank you Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely so was your pregnancy with Juliana quote normal (laughs) we always (laughs) use air quotes with normal because that can mean something different for everyone but was it normal? Did you have, you know, any, how was your first trimester? What did everything go according to plan right away? What was her pregnancy like? Yeah, everything was good. So I, um, they kept tabs on me at the fertility clinic. I, I, I eventually graduated. I think it's like at nine weeks or something, then they graduate sure. you or 
So I graduated from there and went on to um, went on to my regular OB. Everything was good. At ten weeks, I want to say I developed like severe. I didn't have HG, but I had severe nausea. Like mm. it was just bad, just throwing up all day long. It, mm couldn't keep even like water crackers down. Mm. Um, So I did end up seeing a a little bit later on a, um, a specialist, a high risk specialist. Mm. And, um, and he just kept an eye on me for a while. I was released from him at 20, at 22 weeks pregnant or gestation. So 22 weeks, I was released from Um, from his office and everything was good. I mean, Mm -hmm. this was just a great pregnancy. I was, I still had those things and I wrote about it in a post that I was going to stop being so afraid because after you've had miscarriages Mm -hmm. and it it took me 10 years to get pregnant, 10 years, I wanted a baby and I I just kept thinking, oh, this can't be, um, you know, your mind in the back of your mind, it was just like, is this going to, is this going to work out? Is everything going to be fine? Mm -hmm. But you know, when I got released from that high risk specialist, I just thought positive thoughts. I thought God has this. I had my faith and, um, And I wasn't going to worry. I wanted to enjoy my pregnancy Mm -hmm. and not keep thinking that something crazy could happen. Yeah. So, but by all accounts, a normal Juliana was smaller, um, but I wasn't diagnosed with anything um, while she was in utero, but by all accounts, a normal pregnancy. Yeah. Mm. So NICU never even crossed your mind or or had you even heard of the NICU before? So when I was going uh, through the hospital tour and they say, oh, this is where the labor and delivery rooms are at. This is the NICU. They were showing me everything. And I remember kind of not even like they were showing me, but I was just like, oh, we're not going to need those rooms. Like this is going to be fine. And I, myself, I was in the NICU. I was born at four pounds. Yes. And my sister, yes. And my sister as well. She was, she was four pounds, um, four pounds, three ounces. So um, we were NICU babies, but I was just thinking, this is never going to be me. Like Mm -hmm. we're, this is going to be fine. And, um, And I often look back at that moment, like, wow, I guess every mom should take those NICU tours. It wasn't like I wasn't serious, but I just kept thinking, oh, this is going to be fine, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So, so yeah, it just did not cross my mind that I would ever be in that position. Yeah. So would you be willing to share, and we know a glimpse of this because of your letter that you shared, but... Um, you and your husband were in a tragic accident. And so would you be willing to share about kind of what led to Juliana's delivery? 
Yes. Yeah, sure. Um, so I had to work on the military base one night and my husband picked me up from work. We were traveling back home. This was 9.15 at night. We decided to make a stop and go past our house. We get further on down the road and that's when we noticed that a car was was kind of veering over that center lane and it was only a two lane, like one going, one coming. Mm -hmm. And before, I mean, everything happened so fast Mm -hmm. and before we could do anything, it was like, what's this, what's this person doing? And next thing I know, I was waking up. I had heard the crunching. Mm -hmm. I heard the glass, but then I blacked out. And next thing I knew, I was waking up to the smell of the airbags, like the the gas or whatever it is that the airbags release. Mm-hmm. So I was waking up to that. And it was just, it felt, um, it felt suffocating. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to get my seatbelt off. I felt trapped, um, scared, definitely. Mm-hmm. My husband was waking up around the same time. So we both blacked out and we both just started asking each other, are you okay? Are you okay? And we wanted to get out. And I immediately started freaking out because I couldn't feel Juliana. I had been feeling her little flutters since I was 16 weeks pregnant and I couldn't feel her. And I was just trying to be quiet in that moment to in touch just to like, do I feel anything? Mm. Um, It was just such a scary, scary moment. So we just, we prayed Mm. and um, we just prayed while we waited for help to arrive. Mm. So we were, um, once help did arrive, we didn't care about anything. We were both just like, just save our baby. And I mean, we cared about each other, but I think that that's a true testament to parents. Like you want, we had wanted for so long a child and we were finally getting it. And then we just wanted, Hey, if something happens to me or my injuries are too severe, can you please just save my baby? Mm. And I was 25 weeks at the time of the accident. Um, but yeah, we just, we couldn't move. So we had to wait for the medical personnel to, to help us to get out the car. Mm. Um, my husband's legs were, one of his legs was shattered. Um, the femur down to the ankle And um, he was just in excruciating pain. 
I myself, they thought that it was a pelvic fracture, but it ended up being a bad hip contusion. I couldn't even move the whole lower half of my body. Um, so yeah, they ended up putting me on a stretcher in the street. We had to wait for another ambulance. The first one had my husband and, um, it, it was just a terrible, awful night. Like, yeah. you know, I just remember his screams while they're getting him loaded up in the ambulance. I remember, I will never forget the color of the flare laying in the street to signal that there was an accident. And, um, and then just still that smell from the airbag and from the flare. So but just overall, in general, just holding my baby, the the hospital seemed so far away. And I just mm-hmm. wanted, I wanted her to live. I wanted my baby to live. I mean, it must have felt like years waiting to. An eternity, an eternity. I will never forget that ambulance ride. Like, he was my ambulance person that was with me. um, He was amazing, amazing. It just kept giving me words of encouragement and let me know that his son was a preemie and that, and that, that medical and NICU teams could do amazing things that if this was the case and if she was to come early and Mm -hmm. um I felt that urge to push but he was just kept telling me just you have to hold on because Mm -hmm. I can't do anything here they're able to do everything at the hospital so yeah Mm -hmm. we had an hour an hour drive to Kansas City from where oh. we lived at. Um, oh my goodness. But yeah, so, and that, that was that night in a nutshell. So. I mean, thank you so much for, for sharing it so vulnerably. I think, you know, often people describe trauma in the context of car accidents, you know, which yes. is kind of funny. I mean, it's not, it's just odd, right? live through the reality of it. And then several other points of trauma after that too. But I think you obviously have done a lot of healing work. I mean, the way that you speak about it so vulnerably and with such truth, I know those things, it's not hard. It's not easy to, to relive those things, but it just speaks to, I think your strength and, and personal wisdom, you know, to, to be at this point, you know, and just live through that part of the story. And there's so much more after so that, more. right? Yeah. Mm. Yes, definitely. Um, I tell people, I learned very early on when I was in the NICU to write things down, to journal, and to definitely seek therapy. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't think I know for sure that there's just been so much grief and heartache that I would not have been able to get this far and still be here without having therapy therapy. Mm -hmm. 
And I, it's been five years. I'm in therapy weekly. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that because we, we, um, the sweatshirt that you're wearing, if I'm seeing it right, is the Healing is Lifelong sweatshirt. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I love that. Yes, I love it. But I think you just embody that message so beautifully, Jules, of that healing is lifelong. And um, sometimes we can feel this pressure after a traumatic event or a chronic trauma where it's like, I should be over it by now, or I should be at a farther place in my healing, or I sh- this shouldn't affect me anymore. But I think you embody this message so well of that you are still healing and that's good. That's okay. That's healthy. And you're taking those steps every week to become the best woman and mother that you can be. And so I think you just embody that message so, so beautifully. And I'm so grateful that you're sharing it here because I think it gives all of us permission to still accept that we are still healing and that we will forever be healing because our hearts are so big and they can hold so much. And so, um, Thank you for sharing that because I think it's just a good reminder for all of us that, you know, we are worth the time it takes to heal. Oh my goodness. Yes. I love how you just said that we're worth it and that it's okay. It's okay that it's taking this long and that healing can be lifelong. Yeah, absolutely. So you get to the hospital an hour-long ambulance ride, which, yeah, like Martha said, I'm sure felt like years. And so when you arrive at the hospital, did you know pretty immediately that you would be delivering that night? Or did they have hope that they would be able to keep you on bed rest? Or what was it like once you got there? Um, So it was very chaotic. When I say that I have never seen so many medical professionals in one room, my husband and I shared a trauma room and there was people everywhere Mm. and they immediately had somebody um, had the ultrasound machine trying to check for Juliana and I do not know how long the time was that they checked for her but it was for forever Mm -hmm. them just moving moving it around. I could tell by their faces. I could tell by nobody saying anything that they could not, they could not find the heartbeat. And it just, it still seemed like forever. I didn't, I could hear my husband screaming Mm -hmm. and him asking where I was. He was on so much pain medication at that time already, but they're checking him out. I could hear him screaming I still remember telling them, you know, like, I don't care about myself. I just, just please find the heartbeat, save my baby. And they're trying to, because there's a team that's checking for Juliana and there's a team that's looking over myself. Um, and then finally they said it's there. Mm-hmm. And I remember hearing it. And just, just crying even more because then it was like, okay, all right, we're all three here. We're still in this. We have a chance. Um, So I got a CT scan immediately. 
um, after that, after they checked my husband and I over, we both went and we each got one. And then that's when they separated us. We went to different floors. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to the mother baby unit and, um, probably about a few hours after I was there, I noticed the bleeding. Mm -hmm. I felt wet and they checked me. I noticed it, it wasn't a ton. It was just enough, but they needed to get those meds in me, the magnesium, yeah. the, the surfactant for the, for her lungs. Um, they had to get that stuff going and fast. So they got that going. I was on that all night. They constantly checked on me and Juliana was born 12 hours after our car accident, the doctor came in an hour before she was born. He checked on me. Um, I still wasn't, I wasn't bleeding a ton, um, but he checked on me, pressed on my stomach and it, it hurt. I still remember the flinch that I did. And at that time he let me know that my uterus was filling with blood. They could mm. see it on the ultrasound machine mm. that the placenta had most likely abrupted from the hit of the accident or the impact and that they would need to take Juliana and that they would most likely have to take my uterus. Mm. If it could be saved, then they would. But in that moment, I didn't care about that. Like it was devastating, but I just wanted my child to survive. That's, that's what I cared about that. That's what I cared about in that moment was my child surviving. Mm. So they, um, they put my husband and I together. We were both going in for surgery at the same time. Mm. Um, he was going to have surgery on his femur. Um, and then they had to wait to do the, his lower leg surgery on a, at a different time till they could get some of that swelling and stuff down. But they put my husband and I in the same room. They were constantly monitoring, monitoring Juliana. We were able to pray and we were able to come up with the name for her. And Juliana is named after my grandmother, which I am as well. So she's oh. Juliana. And she's named after um, my husband's grandmother. And then we put an extra name in there. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yeah, so we came up with the name and we just prayed. And, and that was it we were we were both off to surgery I was very sad because as happy as I was that they were going to get her out and that my child was still okay at that moment um I had to be um put under mm -hmm. so that was a big part for me. I was not going to be able to witness my baby being born yeah. or her first breath. 
yeah. if that or see her first moments of life. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, the one thing that I am grateful for is that the nurses in that room they took um, beautiful pictures. I don't have any video, but they took beautiful pictures of her first moments of life. And I remember telling them before I was off to sleep is um, please do anything you guys can to help her so she can live and um, I always look at those photos that little one pound 11 ounce body and these eight large hands you know our little babies are so tiny yeah. and you have these huge adult hands eight of them around her trying to save her life and that photo, you know, preemie, images of preemies can sometimes scare other people. But when I look at that photo, I look at here is this little life that these medical professionals are trying to save. Mm -hmm. And it, it's just, it's beautiful to me. It is absolutely beautiful mm. yeah That's so true I think oh uh, I love the way that you said that I don't think I've thought about it that way but like the crux of it is when you see all those people that entire team of people putting all their energy in on Juliana it shows you that every every life matters every small little baby matters, you know, which is so beautiful. And Juliana matters beyond, beyond millions, right? Cause she's just like one of a kind in a hundred ways, <laughs> but, um, but it's true. I, you know, the other thing that strikes me about your story is that's really different than I think other ones that we've heard is that you were alone in a way that maybe other people weren't, you know, because even, um, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of emergency situations we hear, but you, you maybe even get to give your, your spouse or your partner a, a hand squeeze goodbye. Right. Um, they're at least standing up. Yes. I mean, I was assuming right. exactly. was, was, you know, he was not standing up at that point because he was in serious medical crisis as well. Right. Yeah. So I can hear it in the, um, the resolve that you had in that moment to say, okay, Juliana just has me right? Yeah. She just had you. Oh man, that's strange. It's like you lifted up like a Chrysler off of a, of a horse or something that day. I can't <laughs> like how I don't understand, you know, I know you just find the strength that you have when you need to, but it was like one thing after another in those 24 hours. And, and you just were the best mom ever to her that day. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yes. I don't even know. Um, like you said, I guess you just find the strength. Mm -hmm. I don't, <laughs> I, 
I often just look at different bits of my life since her and like, wow, wow, like how much more? I remember at certain points of her life, like waving the red flag, like, hey, God, I've had enough. Like, don't you yeah. think that this is enough for me? Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then another and another. And it's like, how much more can you take? But it's just, it's a testament to just how strong I think when you have the right people in your corner and I had other preemie moms um, that I did follow. There weren't too many. There was, I think maybe two or three, three. And, and I could see from their journey, the strength that it took. And then to just know, Hey, just take this day by day and you will get through day mm-hmm. by day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's almost hard to know. I feel like you're leading up to Juliana's delivery could be its own podcast episode. I mean, it's really like one thing, one thing, one more thing. And, you know, like Martha said, um, you know, I think too, when you shared about leading up to her delivery, I think about all of the things that were on your mind prior to her arrival, you know, like in those like couple hours leading up to her delivery, you had to think not only about Juliana's life, you had to think about your own you knew that your placenta yes. was bleeding and then your husband. I mean, your whole family unit prior to her being born was in crisis. And so just like the the bravery it took to undergo surgery, not knowing what would happen next. I mean, I think that took incredible courage and really, um, I just, it, it's almost hard to know where to, how to continue because I'm just like in awe of you right now. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I, I truly am. I just, it's, you really had to, you had to be brave and, and you did it remarkably. And I'm just in awe of you. And I don't even know what to say next. I'm just blown away. I really am. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. It's just, you know, that, that was just a tough, it was tough. I was, I was happy that I had those pictures Mm -hmm. after I remember them wheeling me into the recovery area. I was happy that I had those pictures. I was happy that Juliana's godmother had made it there to see her Mm -hmm. first moments when they were rushing her off to the NICU. And, um, and then I just, I remember the doctor saying that they were able to get the bleeding under the under control that I was able to um to keep my uterus that he mm. was able to to do that and um it, and that was huge because yes all I wanted was my child to survive but to know that hey, yes, I do have this unexplained infertility, but if I ever wanted to possibly try for more kids that, mm-hmm. and for her to have siblings that, you know, yes, that that would, that, that part of me was still there. Yeah. So. Absolutely. So you, you had those pictures, but how long were you in the recovery area in the PACU afterwards? It was probably, it, it seemed like forever. And I was on such heavy meds. Like I right. said, I had that, I had the hip contusion mm-hmm. um, and just couldn't walk or anything. 
Um, but I, I was there for a while and I remember them eventually rolling me into Juliana's NICU room to see her. And it was brief. Like I, I remember them rolling me in there and saying, you know, which, cause there's two babies, you know, when they're just so critical like that in our NICU, there was two babies that were pod mates and I just remember which one is her and they rolled me by her. Um, I don't remember too much. I'm always so thankful to have her godmother to relay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those first moments. Mm -hmm. That I saw her, but um, I went back to the room or to my... um, to my mother baby room and on the on that unit and the nurse that I had that night she wheeled me back into her room and by then I was a little bit more um I was still on heavy pain meds but I was just more coherent able to take my phone out to record mm-hmm those next moments and yeah it it was just beautiful like I take I look at those videos every so often and she started moving Mm. it was like she knew like hey that's my voice I was always talking to her in utero so she knew it was my voice and um and, and she was just laying there so tiny, but so, so beautiful mm. and strong. Yeah. And I just let her know mommy's here. Mommy's here and you're going to be okay. Mm. And with your husband also in surgery, when was he able to first see her or meet her? I think they brought him, his nurses had to always be with him. Um, but I think they may have brought him down. It wasn't until the next day because he was just, his reality was that he was bad too Mm -hmm. and had to be on heavy, heavy meds. So, and then, you know, I know that he can't, um, we have his, I, think, I want to say maybe second moments with her recorded mm. and um, and he's thankful for that as well because he doesn't remember it's just it's just like me you you're in this crisis you're you've had surgery you're on these heavy meds and it's sad to not have those first moments like other maybe typical moms have with their babies right after they're born or that may, you know, some people maybe take for granted, but not all of us get those moments. And I appreciate you sharing that so much because I was also put under for my son's delivery. And that to this day is one of the biggest things I grieve is that I didn't hear his first cries. Or, you know, I was just, I was completely out. And so whenever I hear another mom share that, I just, I feel 
I feel great grief that we both had to endure that, but I'm also so grateful that I'm not alone in that. And um, yeah, so I, I really appreciate you sharing that because um, hearing that part of my story reflected in you um, brings healing to my heart because I know that another mom understands that grief and missing out on those first moments. And so um, I just, I really appreciate you sharing that from a fellow NICU mom sister to another um, because it brings healing. It brings healing to me too. It does. And to know that our feelings are validated because there's so many people that don't understand what, what we've been through. Yeah, absolutely. And it really it speaks to, to um, the healing is lifelong again, because I think, you know, we say it often, but so many well-meaning people will say things like, well, you're home now, you're home. So what's there to, mm-hmm. you know, like the hard part was over, that part's done. And, but there's so much that happens leading into the NICU stay and then in the NICU that goes unseen by so many. And so, you know, the real, the real healing, when you look back, it's like, wow, there's a lot to unpack here. And I will probably unpack for the rest of my life, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yes. I like how you said unpack. (laughs) Yes. You have such a great um, suggestion earlier, which is to journal. And I think that's part of that too, right? Which is when your body is going through incredible trauma, your memory doesn't work the same, right? Your, your brain, part of your brain like shuts down so that you can survive. And I, I agree. I think that there's a great grief with that too. Like even, even if you are coherent, first of all, we're all drugged out of our mind. You were, you know, you were on these other additional medications because you had been in a serious accident. And so you, um, you, you're, you don't have like the, the clarity of memory, you know, yes, exactly. um, you know, and the, uh, that other moms do and, um, and that that's hard too. So I think the journaling is, is really wonderful. I also love how you talk about her, her godmother, you know, and leaning on that relationship, mm-hmm. um, was, is, is she a, a good, a friend of yours? Is she a relative? Your her, Juliana's godmom? Yes. So I used to teach with her. We taught in the same classroom and, um, and yes. So, um, so yes, great friends. We were just together the other day, but, um, I am just so blessed to have had her from the moment my mom called her and said, Hey, she's been in an accident and, you know, no family could get there quick enough, but we had her and, and I'm so grateful for that. Mm. Yeah. It's one of those things where, um, I bet that experience forged your friendship in a very different way, right? Like for a lifetime now, you know, not that, not that teaching in schools yes. does not forage you together because that's a whole <laughs> other thing, <laughs> especially pre, pre preschoolers. But um, I think it's really, I think it's really beautiful that, that she did that for you and that you can, you'll have that connection forever, you know? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Well, we know it's impossible to condense a NICU stay into um, one podcast episode, but you know, what were some of Juliana's triumphs and what were some of her setbacks and, and, you know, what was her NICU journey like? Um, Juliana's NICU journey was 
it was touch and go a lot. We learned three days after she was born that she had a massive grade four brain bleed. Mm -hmm. And it was on the left side of her brain and that she would need blood transfusions. And she got those, but her brain was just, it was still bleeding. And the doctors, they spoke with myself and they went up to my husband's room and they spoke with him and they let us know that they would have to call the American Red Cross to get our military family members to the hospital because the reality was that Juliana was not going to survive. She was fighting for her life, but so tiny, but they'd give a blood transfusion and they just could not, that bleeding in the brain kept happening. So, um, we didn't want to let her go or pull any plugs. Um, we just, we believed in the power that, you know, we had our faith. We just wanted to wait and to see what would happen. And um, we had our priest come in and bless her. And my, my sisters came in, they're military, they came in, my mom was there, my dad was just deployed like a few days sooner, he wasn't mm. able to, um, to come back or to be there. But um, we just, we just kept our faith. And the bleeding did stop, but the damage was essentially done. And um, it ended up being, like I said, the grade four brain bleed on the left side. And we knew that the next steps they explained to us were to watch for swelling of the brain for hydrocephalus because the part of the brain that is able to drain fluid, it was just so clogged up from that, from the bleeding that they didn't know if it would be able to pass, if the fluid would be able to drain off of her brain. So we knew that those were the next steps. But in the meantime, it was, it was touch and go. And at 18 days, that was the first, um, the first time that I could breathe a little a sigh of relief or say, okay, we're to this part. She was extubated. 
on day number 18 from the oscillator vent. And, um, and I got to hold her for the first time. So, um, it was just a beautiful moment to hear her little voice. Like I, there's this photo of me and I'm looking and I'm like, because I remember hearing that little cry and I'm like, that's my kid. That's my kid's voice. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and it was beautiful. It was like, oh my God. <laughs> you know how you say that you don't, you, we were robbed of those first moments. You didn't get to hear a cry or yeah. anything else. And it was yeah. like, Hey, that was it for me. And, and I got to hold her and, um, and, and that was a beautiful, beautiful moment. So, um, and she was still on another, they moved her over to a different vent. So she was moved off of that one at when I say extubated from that oscillator, but that one was just a more high frequency vent that was really trying to get her little body, you know, to stay alive. So, um, but yeah, so that was the first, the first little piece of hope that I had when I held her, it was just like, it was Mm. a beautiful day. I'll never forget it. Yeah. When were you all three, able to take take a picture all together for the first time you know when was your husband able to hold her and um so he waited he just did not feel comfortable being on those heavy meds for so long he was still I was I was out of the hospital already he was still inpatient and um and but I would hold her and we did we probably took our first family picture together around that time, around Mm. the 18 day mark Mm. all together Mm. for the first time. So Mm. when you went home, when you were discharged, where were you staying? Were you at like, were you, were you nearby? Cause it was uh, far away from where you were living at the time. Right. Yes. So we were staying at the Ronald McDonald house, um, in Kansas city. And it's so hard for me to talk about because, you know, I did not know that Ronald McDonald House charities existed. And I just kept thinking in my head after the accident, like, he's hurt. I'm hurt. I don't know how long we're going to be in this hospital for, but how are we going to see our baby when we get discharged from here? Like, we were both not in a condition to drive so we stayed at Ronald McDonald house in Kansas city. And, um, it was just a lifesaver after I knew that I had a place to be that was minutes away from my child. Mm-hmm. It, it was just like this huge relief that I could just focus on my healing mm-hmm. and, seeing my daughter in the NICU and being able to see my husband at that time on a different floor of the NICU or of the hospital, excuse me. Um, So, yeah. And so you had this, Juliana did this like kind of triumphant, like return, right? Which you like, they really 
thought she was on the brink of not making it. And then all of a sudden she's turning and, and starting to progress forward. And did you feel, did you feel like you could have let a sigh of relief? You know, I know you talked about holding her out and that that was like, but did it feel like the possibility of going home, you know, was attainable or how long until you felt that? Um, I actually probably felt that at, at um, maybe seven, six to seven weeks, you know, that first month to five weeks was crazy. But then I felt like she had this turn, mm-hmm. this turn was coming. She was doing good. She was on room air, mm-hmm. like, hello, this yes, baby <laughs> that they were calling in the American Red Cross for like, now she's okay and she's breathing this room air. She started to nurse. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yes. It was That's just, amazing. um, or to try, of course, she was still getting all of her feed through the feeding tube, but she was suckling at the breast and mm. trying to nurse. And it was just like, it was like, wow, like this is just the baby that was <laughs> doing all this this hard fighting not too long ago. So yeah, so I felt at that time that I could take a, that that everything would be okay. She, my baby was on room air. She was doing great. She was a fighter. Like we were all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And then there was a devastating blow and at eight weeks old they noticed that her fontanelle lobe it wasn't bouncing back like it should and they ordered the ultrasound and she had developed the hydrocephalus that we had put to the back of our minds, Mm. Um, but she developed it and they did ultrasounds over that next two and three day period. And each time they kept checking, it wasn't getting better. So they had to do a hospital transfer Mm. and they were going to perform a VP shunt surgery on her brain that would stay on her brain in her body um, so it could essentially drain that fluid um, from the part of her brain that that wasn't able to get through Um, so that was really tough. That was just, it was tough for us because we had grown to love these people Mm -hmm. at her current NICU. We, we knew everybody. We knew, they knew us. Um, everything was easy to navigate there. We didn't feel afraid to ask questions to, they, they were so easy or they taught us, they were teaching us everything Mm -hmm. that there was to know about parenthood. 
And then it's like you're being yanked out of a hospital and put somewhere else. Like these people were literally there through the thick of everything. Mm -hmm. And then now we had to go somewhere totally brand new, learn everything over. And our baby at that time was critical. Now, again, everything was great. And then now we're back to step one where things are critical. Yeah any NICU mom who's listening, it's, it's like you said, you, they become your family. Like those, the NICU nurses and NICU staff become your family, especially when you're essentially a home away from home. You're, you're not near your actual home. So this was your home. And then to have to, yeah, handle the new critical diagnosis and then also, yeah, start from zero and establish a new relationship with a new team. I mean, that would be devastating. It's so difficult. It would feel like its own loss of like losing that family unit that you had built with them, you know, and like that trust takes time to build. Yes. So when they, when they did the transfer, did they immediately do the surgery or was there like a kind of a initiation period or was it like, nope, we're doing it right away? Since she was coming from an outside hospital, they had to get all the labs, make sure everything was great. And she had this period of isolation and um, the neurosurgeon did come in. She had an MRI. They checked on her brain and the status. He explained everything to us. Her neurosurgeon was amazing. Mm. Just an unspeakable, just talent. Like, wow, this itty bitty baby in your hands and and just amazing Mm. and the way that he was able to explain everything to us and make us feel comfortable with her having this life-saving surgery it it was even though we were scared he had that power to make us feel like everything was going to be okay we don't know what the outcome will be but Mm-hmm. we're going to get through this. You guys are going to get through this. So um, she had the surgery. It's the VP shunt. She had that at nine weeks oh. old. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after the surgery, within like hours of having it, um, she was back in her NICU room from the PACU and They just noticed that she wasn't doing too well. They were trying to see if it was pain meds. And then our world changed. Juliana was back critical. She was worse than she had been before. She was back to being intubated again. She had just taken a rapid decline. And it it was heartbreaking. It was awful to watch, to say the least. And and that was our life. That was our life the next seven days until she finally came around. We watched them at one point. Her oxygen gets so low, even with being with having all that support, where 
everybody was there in the room trying to save her. I will never forget that moment as parents, you're screaming, you're crying, sobbing. You just want them to save your child. And here these medical professionals, they're not even batting an eye or breaking down like we Mm. are. Her primary nurse that was there, she was amazing. And she worked so hard and diligently with these respiratory therapists to just get our girl back going. And um, and her oxygen was a 13 at that time. And you just hear the alarms and you know that everything is just all bad. That happened several times that day. And... We're just grateful. We're grateful for how we say, man, I know that they probably left that night, you know, going home after a hard shift, like just, I mean, I never know if they cried or what they did, but, you know, that had to be so crazy and so scary for them too, especially, I mean, her primary nurse was amazing at that hospital. We are still in contact till this day. And I just always commend her for, you know, while I'm breaking down, she's just over there just saving my baby's life. <laughs> so it was really tough, tough to watch. It's it's indescribable, really. It's in, unless you've been through it and you're brought, you're being brought to the edge, like so many times, right. With her and and every time she came back and it's, it was miraculous and the, just as miraculous as the fact yes. that you did too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Juliana, once again, miraculous little miracle girl that she is the fighter that she is. Um, she comes through after a very, um, very big, big surgery for anyone, but especially at eight weeks old. And, um, she overcomes defies the odds again. Um, so how, how long was Juliana's NICU stay and was the rest of her NICU stay again, quotes uneventful or. (laughs) (laughs) So Juliana's NICU stay was 105 long days Mm -hmm. (laughs) and, um, And after she came around at that seven day mark, it was, it was still touch and go, you know, you're scared. Is this Mm -hmm. shunt going to work properly? Is it going to drain this fluid? But, but everything kind of, it went okay. We had those Mm -hmm. things where a lot of NICU moms have to worry about uh, feeding their child, you know, there were still those things that, that we had to learn, um, what to look out for with the shunt to make sure that, that everything was draining properly and to, um, to, for her to learn how to, to eat, Mm -hmm. um, to take her bottles, to learn how to breastfeed. She had bottles that were fortified. So, she had to learn those things. And then we had to make sure that she wasn't having any more bradycardias, mm-hmm. um, any more of those episodes. And 
could get through a certain amount of days without those. So um, I would say compared to what we went through in the beginning of her journey and then compared um, to the life-saving brain surgery that she had at nine weeks old, after that, it was a little bit of touch and go, but we could breathe again. You could breathe again, definitely. Mm. Wow. Such a miracle. All of you are. All of you. Yes. And this is is maybe a silly question, but so you had hip surgery as well? No, I had the hip contusion. They did check several times while I was still um, inpatient in the hospital to make sure anything or, or nothing was broken because I, I couldn't walk. I was in a wheelchair. Yeah. I couldn't get up to stand. Like the hip contusion was just that bad. So, um, so how long were you in a wheelchair for? I was in the wheelchair for a few weeks. And oh. after that, I went to a walker and I used the walker for several wow. months. Oh. I mean, that's just another, I mean, I, girlfriend, <laughs> a warrior. That's what I, that's what I like to say. The survivor, a warrior. You are, <laughs> you absolutely are. I mean, just to think about like you were advocating for your baby and also recovering and advocating for your own health. And I just, yeah, you are, you're a warrior. You really are. Thank you. Well, Jules, there is so much more to your story. (laughs) And we don't want to rush through it. And um, what we want to do is do two parts. So to the mamas listening, I know you're on the edge of your seats, just like we are. We want to hear what life at home was like and what life at home was like today. And so we want to dedicate a whole episode to that. And um, but before we do that, Jules, I just want to, we just want to thank you again for yes. truly yeah. um, your vulnerability, your bravery and sharing your story and reliving these very, very tender moments of your life. And just know that it's, it's a true honor to hold space for them. And it's a true honor to know you and Juliana. And um, I'm very excited for part two. I'm already like looking forward to recording that episode um, because like we've mentioned before, following you on social, your family is truly resilient and is really just a beacon of hope. And Juliana is one miraculous, incredible girl. And I can't wait to hear all about what life is like with her at home. And so we have so much more to share. So mamas, we will be back. We will be back for part two. In part two, will be all about homecoming and life at home. And so, um, as always, thank you so much for tuning in, mamas. It's just a true, it's a true gift to share this space with you and to connect with you guys in this way. And um, we're just so grateful for the sisterhood. So we will be back uh, next week. And Jules, we can't wait. Thank you so much for yes. being here for part one. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or our private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.